0: to approach three rapid-fire rulemakings from the FMC, the Federal Maritime Commission, I wanted to revisit the detention and demurrage interpretive rule from 2020 to refresh so that we all remember what's already on the books. And hopefully that'll help guide our comments and insights as an industry to help the FMC move forward through these next three rulemakings. Hi, welcome to By Land and By Sea, an attorney breaking down the weekend supply chain presented by the maritime professor, me. I'm Lauren Began, founder of The Maritime Professor and Squall Strategies, and I'm your favorite maritime attorney. Join me every week as we walk through both ocean transport and surface transport topics in the wild world of supply chain. As always, the guidance here is general and for educational purposes only. It should not be construed to be legal advice, and there is no attorney-client privilege created by this video. If you need an attorney, contact an attorney. So before we get into the discussion of the day, let's go through my Top three stories of the week. <laughs> um, I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. By Land and By Sea is a podcast. Look for it wherever you get your podcast. I think I've linked it to every podcast streaming service available out there. But it looks like most of you are actually going through my website link. So I appreciate that. Uh, you know, add this podcast to your rotation. I reference quite a few of my old shows. Uh, I remember what I talked about. I hope you do, too. Join me in going through some of those. I try not to ro- re- repeat too much information. I want new information each time. So that'll help you go through some of the historical information um, and get up to speed on pretty much all the big topics that have happened and continue to happen in the wild world of supply chain and global ocean shipping generally. Um I've had such dense topics recently. I do try to keep it to about 30 minutes, um, but you know, this is, they're really great. The podcast is really fun. Um, if you go to the podcast link, you can actually speed me up if you want, but regardless, I hope you enjoy the podcast by land and by sea. Look for it wherever you get your podcast. You can now listen to me on demand. <laughs> Story number two, a JOC article came out last week on detention and demerge building practices and what's been happening since OSR 22 went into effect. So ocean carriers are now changing how they bill for detention and demurrage. So Hoppeg Lloyd, as reported by the JOC, is no longer billing customers for storage of containers at the port of New York, New Jersey, as of July 1st, according to a customer notice. So while Hoppeg Lloyd is not charging, they're still going to charge on their own terminal property, it says. But any amount actually owned to New York, New Jersey, the marine terminal is going to have to be now paid Directly through New York and New Jersey, and that's what I've been hearing generally. Is that some of those old billing systems of some of the marine terminals needs to be updated in order to um, be ready and and be compliant with what's going on at the um, with OSRA twenty two. So Hapag Lloyd, um, it's interesting that they're doing that. Yang Ming and Wan Hai Lines um, have also informed shippers that they will only invoice for the per diem fees and not on behalf of marine terminals. Um, their per diem fee, excuse me, and not on behalf of marine terminals. So I don't know if we're going to be continuing to see this dissection between now marine terminals are going to be charging directly for their own detention and demurrage, whereas it might have gotten looped into some of the ocean carrier billing. Um, we'll see. This is interesting. Um, you know, I've seen both pauses. I've seen um, delays and I've seen just we're not going to be charging at all. Stay tuned. Um, so let me know what you're seeing out there. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you guys are seeing out there. Boots on the docks um, out there in the field. Um, this is interesting. I guess I'm not surprised because OSR 22, when the detention demerge invoice prescriptive, we'll talk about this in a minute, when that hit, um, it was immediate. It was upon signing on June 16th. And so with that, there was some adjusting of the industry um, so, that you know, that's it. Uh, I, it's just interesting that uh, not surprising, but interesting story out of the GOC here. So story number three, the FMC has set their next FMC commission meeting hearing uh, next commission meeting. Um, it's for next Wednesday, July 27th at 10 a.m. on the open agenda is a staff briefing on OSRA 22. I'm interested to hear what that what comes up there. Um, What I really wanted to hear, but unfortunately it's in closed agenda, is a staff briefing on unreasonable refusal to deal or negotiate with respect to vessel space and also a closed meeting on enforcement process and pending matters. So did you hear that first closed meetings um, topic? Unreasonable refusal to deal or negotiate with respect to vessel space. That is the first of the three rulemakings that they're directed to do under ASRA. And actually, 30 days from June 16th is not July 27th. So they're already working about 10 days past their due date. This is all expected. They have a lot to do in a 30, 45, 60 day prescriptive um, rulemaking directive. I'm not surprised this is sliding. I don't think they're going to slide significantly. I think this is a totally acceptable slide, especially on this first one. Um, You know what this says to me is that the rule language is probably ready. I would expect they're going to be voting in the closed session and the text will probably be released later that afternoon or maybe even the next day. So either way, we're getting very close. We are already past the due date of when that rule, uh, rulemaking language was supposed to be released. And so I hope that you're pulling together all of your comments. I hope you're pulling together your thoughts. Remember this first one is unreasonable refusal to deal or negotiate with respect to vessel space. Um, This is the first of the three. And so it's just an educated guess that because it's on their hearing agenda, the fact that we're already a week past, that it's going to be coming out that day or the next day. But I mean, it it stands to logic, doesn't it? I'm so interested to see what this language actually says. And if they actually release an ANPRM, an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking, or a notice of proposed rulemaking. Remember, we've talked about this before. Advanced notice of proposed rulemaking usually has a question sent out to the industry. They want to get a pulse of the industry, what the industry thinks. Um, You know, at first I thought maybe they might go that direction because they just want to get them out. I actually think they might be going more with a notice of proposed rulemaking with this first um, rulemaking because they're taking a little extra time. To me, that says maybe they did want to come out with some proposed text. And so that's the difference. The advanced notice of proposed rulemaking doesn't usually have that proposed text to it. Whereas a notice of proposed rulemaking usually does have that proposed text. Either way, we're going to get comment period I'm expecting it's only going to be a 30-day comment period. Maybe 60, we'll see. Uh, But this one has to be closed up in six months. I think this is going to be a 30-day comment period with a notice of proposed rulemaking and NPRM. We'll see. But that all leads us into our topic of the day. So the Ocean Shipping Reform Act of 2022 has directed the FMC to initiate three different rulemakings. We've covered this in the opening. We've covered this before in our in our um, episodes together, but let me go over the whole thing quickly just so we're all on the same page. Uh, we covered this a few, uh, this specific OSR 22 and the rulemakings that were directed to the FMC in one of my previous episodes. Go check it out on the podcast by land and by sea on demand. Like I said, but so here's the refresher. So the Ocean Shipping Reform Act of 2022 was passed by the Senate and then sent to and passed to the House. Remember, we had a little. Um, discrepancy for a while. We had a House version and a Senate version. Senate version won out, got sent over to the House. Then when the House passed it, it went directly over to President Biden because they were both the same version. They were both now the Senate version. And then President Biden signed osra 22 on June 16, 2022. So that was just over a month ago, you know, five, six weeks ago now. And it became law. That's it. Osra 22 became law when this president signed it. So there's one specific area that went into effect right away. I talked about this a little bit in the opening. It continues to cause a little bit of confusion, but I think it's starting to get worked out. And that's outlining the specific items that are now required to be part of detention and demerge invoices. And I'm only going to list a few here. We've gone through this in ad nauseum before. We've gone through this very detailed. Um, But some of the things that you would expect maybe are required generally anyways, port of discharge, date the container is made available, container number or numbers, allowed free time in days, start and end time of the free time, what rule you're basing that on, the total amount due, contact information. And then two statements. One statement that says charges are consistent with all FMC rules in respect to detention and demerge, and a statement that the common carrier's performance did not cause or contribute to the underlying invoice charges. If detention and demurrage invoicing is now being pushed over to the Marine Terminal, to the port, and this statement, a statement that the common carrier's performance did not cause or contribute to the underlying invoice charges, that is essentially an indemnification, basically saying common carrier didn't do anything wrong. But usually I think what was thought here is that the common carrier was the one that was issuing the invoice. So they were trying to say, you know, common carrier, you need to say that you haven't done anything wrong. But now they're they're pushing it back to the terminal. And now the terminal is saying, Well, the common carrier didn't do anything wrong. Maybe they did. Maybe they did do something wrong. But now the terminal is having to put that on the invoice. Otherwise, the invoice is invalid. And that's what the next part of the rule says, is that if anything is inaccurate or false, penalties or refunds can be applied and shall be applied. I, I just, I keep, the more that this continues to move past the date of June 16th in the enactment, this statement that the common carrier performance did not cause or contribute to the underlying invoice charges... It just, I to me, it feels like it keeps getting a little worse. Um, I, I wish we could either take that out or amend it, um, but I don't think it's serving the purpose and and the directed targeted purpose that it was meant to. Um, I, I don't know. The operating ports are in a tough spot here. So if any of that information is not included on the invoice, then there's an elimination of any obligation of the charge party to pay. Like I said, you don't have to pay if the information is not included. This is not legal advice. This is educational purposes, but that's what the law says. Failure to include any information required under this subsection, under that section, in an invoice shall eliminate any obligation of the charge party to pay the applicable charge. That is directly out of the law. So then the FMC releases a, sta- a statement saying, yes, those provisions went into effect and all regulated entities are required to oblige. I mean, there you have it. It's like, okay, here we go. So, like I said, JOC reported on what that looked like out in the field. So what else happened in Oswego 22? Like I said, this is just a quick little overview so that we're all on the same page. The law directs the FMC to initiate some rulemakings. And we're about a week past the first one, like I said. So we have three. So we have the unreasonable refusal to deal, which is 30 days from June 16th. So mid-July, which was last week. Detention and demerge prohibited practices, 45 days from June 16th. So we're talking early August, late July. I'm thinking we're probably looking at early to mid-August. Um, And then we have unfair and unjust discriminatory methods. That's a beast of an issue. 60 days from June 16th. So that technically is mid-August. I'm thinking that's going to be early September. Um, Either way, from now until six weeks from now, we have three rulemakings coming out. Um, Get your thoughts together on all of these. Start looking into these. Start just looking into what the law currently says. Maybe go through some of my old episodes. I kind of cover the different areas that we're talking about here in a little bit more description. Um, you know, let's talk about them a very, very surface level. Unreasonable refusal to deal. This is rulemaking on unreasonable refusal to deal or negotiate with respect to vessel space accommodations. Starts 30 days from the enactment of this law. The final rule needs to be finished up, not later than six months after the date of enactment. This one's going to go real fast. Second rulemaking, d and prohibited practices. The rule says rulemaking on detention or demurrage not later than 45 days after the law started, June 16th. The FMC shall initiate a rulemaking further defining prohibitive practices by common carriers, MTOs, marine terminal operators, shippers, and ocean transportation intermediaries regarding the assessment of demurrage or detention practices. And this needs to be finished up one year after the date of the enactment of the act. So by June 16, 2023, so next year. Um, this piece says that they can look at and should build upon and shall only seek to further clarify reasonable rules and practices related to the assessment of detention and demurrage charges to address the issues identified in the final rule published May 18, 2020, interpretive rule on detention and demurrage under the Shipping Act. That's what we're going to talk about today. What happened in the interpretive rule on detention and demurrage May 18, 2020, May 18, 2020. That's a very ironic, appropriate. Um, I guess they got lucky that it came out spring of 2020, right when things were starting to hit the fan and the supply chain world. Um, we didn't really know it was about to hit the fan, but that was when it started. Um, so at least with this rule, they have a year to finish it up. This is a follow up to, like I said, the May 18, 2020 interpretive rule on detention and merge. It was only an interpretive rule. Um, So, you know, I covered this previously a little bit, but I wanted to do a refresher on what's included in that interpretive rule, kind of in today's world. I mean, I only covered it maybe five months ago, but some of the nuances might even be dated just from five months ago. This has been moving very fast um, in the past six months or so. There's a lot going on. Um, If you want to go check out what I covered previously, I go into detail. Um, It's going to be, I think it was in April, but go on to my podcast. You can go check it out. Um, go check out the old old episodes and listen while you're driving to the beach this weekend. I don't know; it's a hot weekend. Uh, but before we get into the history of that interpretive rule, let's finish the list. The third of the ru- required rulemakings here is unfair, unjust, discriminatory methods. That's sixty days from June 16th. So, like I said, that's technically mid-August. I'm thinking. Not sooner than September. Um, I think it'll probably come out maybe right after that Labor Day weekend. Uh, but we'll see maybe they'll maybe they'll make up some space. Maybe they have different teams working on these. Um, they're getting them out. Um, so this one also has to be finished up not later than one year after the date of the enactment. So um, I think we're gonna have six months push on the first one and then a pretty busy spring um, 2023 trying to finish some of these up before that June um, final deadline. So the interpretive rule on demerge and detention. So they say demerge and detention in the way that they line them up. I like to say detention and demurrage. doesn't matter. I'm going to probably call it D&D. Um, but so it's an interpretive rule on D&D under the Shipping Act, published May 18, 2020, in the Federal Register. And one of the most important pieces of information from this interpretive rule is right up front where they reference the notice, uh, notice of proposed rulemaking. The interpretive rule was intended to reflect three general principles. Importers, exporters, intermediaries, and truckers should not be penalized by demurrage and detention practices when circumstances are such that they can't retrieve containers from or return containers to marine terminals because under those circumstances, the charges cannot serve their incentive function. They're saying it's not fair. If you can't turn your stuff in or go pick your stuff up, you should not be charged because the charge is supposed to incentivize you to go get it. They also say importers should be notified when their cargo is actually available for retrieval. And they also say demerge and detention policy should be accessible, clear, and use consistent terminology. Per diem, daily rate, whatever it is, doesn't matter. It's still detention and demerge. The FMC's actually said that a few different times. If it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. We're calling it detention and demerge. Um, you know, obviously appropriately so. Detention and demerge are not the same thing, but the other terms that you may use to describe what's either detention, use of the cargo box, or demurrage, use of the cargo space on the yard. Whatever you use to describe that, that's what it is. So did you hear that? All of this is what we as an industry have been begging for. But the most important part is when the FMC says the detention and demurrage should have an incentive function. This explains why they've been issuing civil penalties. I mean, for the impossibility of pickup, the $2 million Hoppe Lloyd case, a settlement case that came out just to was it in June, I believe, that was based on the impossibility of pickup, which, like we said, includes charging to merge when when you're not allowed or had no appointments. There was no way for you to pick it up. There was impossibility of a pickup. So if you, the shipper, the importer, the cargo owner are trying to pick up, but you can't because of some obstacle at the port or terminal, you shouldn't be charged the fee because at the root, the fee was designed to incentivize you to pick up your goods. And you're trying, you're trying to get there. There's no incentivization. You're already trying to pick that item up. The FMC gets that, and that's what they've been saying. They've been saying it through this May 18, 2020 interpretive rule, and they've been saying it in the case law that's been coming out recently. This incentivization piece is going to be so important. It's going to be paramount as they start moving forward and really defining it more. Um, I should mention, though, that the FMC made it clear that this is an interpretive rule, not a final rule. So this does not mandate conduct, but rather is providing guidance on how that conduct may be interpreted by the commission in future cases or adjudications in front of the commission. So if there's a case in front of the commission, it's likely they're going to be using the things that they talked about in this interpretive rule from May 18, 2020. They also turned this interpretive rule into codified law. It's interesting, you know, the the legal side of all of that. But they said, you know, this is an interpretive rule. It's in the codified law. So CFR, the Code of Federal Registers. So a little briefer here. Congress makes statutes. So the Shipping Act, that's a statute. And the federal agency creates regulations. So those are the interpretations of those statutes. Usually the statutes are a lot more general and they say, details will be determined maybe they say it or they don't but details will be determined on the application by the commission or by the agency in this regard it would be the federal maritime commission that's why i started to say that i didn't like congress was getting so detail oriented with some of the information that was coming out in the ocean shipping reform act because they're not as close to the industry the federal maritime commission is and that's by design that's how it works they are closer to the industry so they should have those specifics and the interpretation of what Congress wanted to do, and here's how we do it. So there you go. Now you can go to law school, pass the bar, be a lawyer yourself, statutes versus, versus regs. <laughs> uh, but seriously, so the FMC used that authority to create the interpretive rule and put it in their regs. So now it is 46 CFR Code of Federal Regulations, Section 545.5. So what you're going to see is Interpretation of Shipping Act of 1984, unjust, and unreasonable practices with respect to demergent detention. Did you know that that was in there? You know, when I revisited it earlier this year, the spring, I didn't realize that it had actually been codified. That's great. I mean, that's great. There was a lot going on that spring of 2020, obviously, um, but it's there. It says that it's the interpretive rule, uh, interpretation, which is, like I said, strange that a rule is an interpretation rule, Regardless, they're putting it right out front. Here's the stuff that we want to see for demerge and detention. So what does it say? There's six sections with some subsections inside there. So they talk about purpose. They describe the rule um, to provide guidance. They have applicability and scope, practices and regulations re- relating to detention and demerge. In there, they say, for purposes of this rule, the terms demerge and detention encompass any charges, including per diem assessed by Ocean Common Carriers, marine terminal operators or ocean transportation intermediaries, regulated entities related to the use of marine terminal space, otherwise land um, or shipping containers, not including freight charges. So that's what they're saying. Demurrage is the use of the marine terminal space. Detention is the use of the shipping containers. So it doesn't matter what you call it. We're going to say that that's what those terms are. So you can call it whatever you want, but if it quacks, it's a duck. They also go into the incentive principle in this interpretive rule. Um, Cargo availability, empty container return, notice of cargo availability, and government inspections are four categories underneath that incentive principle that they talk a little bit more about. Like I said, we've covered most of this in my previous episode, but we're just going to focus on the incentive principle here. We go into pretty good detail, but like I said, this was a refresher. So the incentive principle, the rule says, excuse me, also, I'm getting over a little bit of a cold, so I do apologize. The rule says in assessing the reasonableness of detention and demerge practices and regulations, the commission will consider the extent to which D&D are serving their intended primary purposes as financial incentives to promote freight fluidity. Doesn't that sound nice? Financial incentives to promote freight fluidity. That says this is spurring you to do some action to keep the cargo moving. But it's not like that. That's not what they're saying is the problem. Did the FMC have any clarifying statements in the reasoning behind the sections of the rules? They, Of course they did. Yes, they did. So when they published the final rule of the Federal Register, essentially the public notice newspaper, I, I've talked about the Federal Register before, but that's basically when any agency takes any action, they put it in there. It's kind of like the classified section of a newspaper, but for the entire government. So the FMC outlined what they considered to be detention and merge and specifically its purpose. They said that historically, the commission recognized demurrage as having penalty elements to it, designed to encourage the prompt movement of cargo off the pier, like the the charge increases in an attempt to penalize you for the cargo just sitting there, and that the charge has included compensation for associated services. So you know the operational costs. They say that it does include the operational costs. There's an incentivization, but it can also include operational watchmen, fire protection, use of the pier facilities on the cargo not picked up during free time. The commission says it's important to specify, however, what this compensatory aspect of demerge traditionally meant to the extent demerge had a compensation aspect, compensatory aspect. It was to reimburse ocean carriers for costs incurred after free time expired. So costs in the context meant additional costs associated with cargo remaining on the pier after free time. In other words, Demerge and detention are not the mechanism by which ocean carriers recover all costs related to their equipment. And the commission cannot assume that these charges are the primary method by which ocean carriers recover their capital investment and in container costs. As some commenters suggest, Some com- they received over a hundred comments at this stage, at this rulemaking. Um, and so it looks like some of those commenters were saying that that was only for trying to recoup some of those operational costs. The commission's saying... This isn't supposed to be the only way you recoup those operational costs. Maybe, yes, associated with the cargo container sitting for too long for in the demerge um, situation, but that this should not be the only way you recoup those costs. Look, I've said it before. Detention and demerge is not supposed to be a profit line. It's just supposed to cover your costs and provide an incentive to move the goods. This is basically supported here by what the commission is saying. And the commission continues to say that the commission cannot assume that demerge and detention have compensatory aspects. They can't compensate in every case. The rule doesn't preclude ocean carriers and marine terminals from arguing and producing evidence regarding the compensation side. You know, and the commission continues to clarify that they continue to see detention demerge as primary for the incentivization, but that they would consider other purposes of d such as compensation for the time on the yard or operational considerations, and that was done by adding actually a new non-preclusion section. Look, that's a whole different area. Go back to the episode. We we can talk. We talked a little bit more about preclusion section in that. But under the incentive principle in the rule, the commission outlines particular applications of the incentive principle and includes cargo availability, empty container return, notice of cargo availability, and government inspections. So we're just going to talk about the free time. The commission says in the interpretive language filed with the federal register first, as part of the transportation obligation, an ocean carrier must allow a shipper a reasonable opportunity to retrieve its cargo. Free time. Free time is free because during this period, an ocean carrier cannot assess submerge nor can a marine terminal cost be shifted to a shipper during free time, even in the event of a strike. And I'm highlighting this section because we're in a non Contract period between the ILWU and the PMA on the West Coast, the labor negotiations. Um, No mention of a strike. You almost don't even want to say it out loud, but they're saying that even in the event of a strike, marine terminal costs cannot be shifted to a shipper during free time. Um, Second, during free time, ocean carriers remain subject to all the general prohibitions of the Shipping Act, which include reasonableness standards. Its practices must be tailored to meet their purposes. And the commission says. Demerge is a valuable charge. So they're saying, you know, sometimes there's a purpose here. Sometimes demerge is very valuable when it incentivizes the movement, the prompt movement of cargo. But the FMC notes that the tailored reasonableness requirement of the statute still, which the FMC says is financial incentives for cargo and equipment fluidity. If demerge cannot act as an incentive for cargo and equipment fluidity because for instance, an MTO is closed for several days due to a storm. Charging demerge in such a situation, even if container is already in demerge, raises questions as to whether such demerge practices are tailored to their intended purpose. So it's all about if you are still assessing that demerge, you really have to be able to prove why you're doing that. What was happening that you were trying to incentivize? Um, so what about... When the BCO, the beneficial cargo owner, shipper cannot pick up the goods. We've talked about that. We continue to talk about that. The impossibility of pickup. The commission talks about that. When property lies at rest on a pier after free time has expired and the consignees, through reasons beyond their control, are unable to remove it, the penalty element of demurrage charges assessed against property has no effect in accelerating clearance of the pier. So that's what they're saying. The penalty aspect, the incentive aspect. Doesn't work if the BCO or the shipper or the consignee can't come get it Um, in excess of of a compensation level. They are a useless and consequently unjust burden. They're saying that these charges are an unjust burden and useless and a source of unearned revenue to carriers. I mean, I keep hearing that the industry keeps saying they're making so much money off my demurrage. The FMC agrees with you and says it here. They call it a source of unearned revenue to carriers. So they're saying that the incentive purpose is gone if you can't pick it up, and now the charges are just that, unjust burden and useless. The commission continues there. The FFC commission, therefore, does not agree with some commenters, argues that it's always a reasonable practice to charge detention and demerge after free time, regardless of cargo availability or the ability to return equipment. The rule and the principles therein apply to demerge and detention practices regardless of whether containers at issue are in demurrage or in detention. That is, in assessing the reasonableness of demurrage and detention, the commission will consider to the extent to which demurrage and detention are actually serving their intended primary purpose, as here it is again, financial incentives to promote freight fluidity. Are they serving their purpose in moving that stuff off the yard or moving your stuff out of the box? Um, they're saying, I don't care that you think D&D should always be charged. Sometimes it shouldn't. And we're going to start taking that into consideration. And since May of 2020, we've seen that. We've seen that in civil penalties. They're saying, look, guys, you got to stop charging it if it's not having an effect on moving the goods. So you know, the commission also discusses comments regarding a labor strike and who bears the burden. They don't go into a lot of detail here, but they do talk about it. Um, to distill it down very simply, essentially the commission discussed the difference between incentive to versus compensation to We talked about that a little bit. So, incentive to is the charge used as an incentive to get your stuff off the yard. Compensation to is the fair compensation for sheltering and protecting the cargo. I mean, that's basically what it is. All of the operational considerations going along with keeping your stuff there is sheltering and protecting that cargo until it can be picked up. The commission discussed that this is an appropriate charge for the merge. Like we said, compensation for general operation. It shouldn't be the only thing, but it could be part of it. Ultimately the FMC that they're going to be, says that they're going to be considering the totality of the circumstances with this guidance in mind. So like I said, in, in regards to a labor strike, they don't really hit it. They just say, they reiterate, Incentive is the most important. Compensation is also important. We're going to keep that in mind. Um, Free time and the reasonableness of free time and available cargo. They talk about that, too. They say put slightly differently. If a free time practice is not tailored so as to provide a shipper a reasonable opportunity to retrieve its cargo, it's not likely to be reasonable. Um, They drill down on the different cases, and I cover those in the previous episode, Um, The commission also talks about container availability. As for defining container availability, the commission declines to do so here, as it it can vary by port or marine terminal. Suffice it to say, available at a minimum includes such things as the physical availability of the container, whether it has been discharged from the vessel, whether it's been assigned a location, whether it's in an open area that you can actually get to. Depending on the facts of the case, the commission may consider things such as appointment systems, appointment availability and trucker access to the terminal I think and that they 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 use congestion as one of their um as one of their examples there I think they might drill down further on this in the second rulemaking that's going to be coming out um, early August or maybe mid-August I think they're going to be talking about container availability it does, vary port to port and marine terminal to marine terminal um, on what that means. But I think that they are going to try to provide a little bit more guidance on what that availability, what the significance of the availability is, because that's really the turning point. Um, because if it's available, you can charge detention and demurrage, um, excuse me, you can car- charge demurrage. And if somebody's not picking it up, that's where the demurrage is incentivizing the movement. I think really what the problem here has been, it's not available. You can't go get it. Or or they say it's available, but it's not um, when you go to pick it up. And now you've just waited in congestion trying to get it um, or the appointment system or whatever. I think they're going to figure out and try to create some clarity over that. That's a perfect way for everybody in the industry to start getting their thoughts together. What are different ways that you've seen availability of container not fairly assessed. Give them those examples they want to know what's going on because reality is stranger than fiction. so give them all of those examples so that they know they might not know what's actually happening. all terminals, there's so many terminals all terminals are going to be different and they need to know are there trends are there situations that we can remedy by providing a little bit of guardrail or guidance or administrative um, you know administrative overlay to it so that we can clean up what actually means available? They also go into a little bit of chassis. Um, essentially what they say is chassis availability can be considered in the um, overall case analysis. Um, in doing this, so, the commission would be especially careful to anal- analyze how the chassis supply model issue relates to the primary incentive purpose of d d Again, they just keep pushing it back over to incentive purpose. Um, this is just a little refresher on what they previously said. Again, d d isn't up until the second rulemaking but they're going to build off of this incentive principle. They kept bringing it in on all their examples. Incentivization of the movement of goods is going to be the most important principle. You know, I think they're probably going to use some of what they've been deciding and learning from some of the recent case on, on availability of cargo and incentivization as well. I think the compensation of operations is going to be an interesting piece because of what's going on with the labor negotiations. It's going to be a little more top of mind, but I don't think that that's going to weigh so heavily. I think They really are going to try to get a handle on what's going on with when is cargo available and how is the incentivization principle, the movement, the incentivizing of the goods, how does that relate to everything? Uh, This is going to get really exciting over the next few weeks, guys. Get ready. It looks like it's all going to start next week. The hearing is on Wednesday. I'll join you online. I'll see you online. They stream it on their YouTube. I'll meet you there. It's at 10 a.m. on Wednesday, the 27th. Here we go. We're only going to get the open session. They're going to close it off for the closed session. Obviously, it's only going to be um, internal FMC employees at that point. But the open session, we're going to get to hear a little bit about what they, the FMC, thinks about Ozron, what all happened. They'll probably talk about their industry guidance for charge complaints. They'll probably talk a little bit about um, their their um, excuse me their their guidance from the Office of the General Counsel saying that the invoice and all of those prescriptive elements we're immediate. They'll probably talk about those things a little bit just to provide a little bit more color. Um, I don't think we're going to get a lot more content on that, but I think they're going to discuss it and just say this is what we did. This is the guidance as we said is just said another way, you know, this is the these are the new rules you got to follow them. Um it's it's about to get really exciting. If you guys like FMC and I know you do, uh, if you like covering FMC stuff, stick with me here. We're going to be covering all of it. It's going to get so exciting. As always, the guidance here is general, and for educational purposes, it should not be construed to be legal advice directly related to your matter. If you need an attorney, contact an attorney. But if you do have specific legal questions, feel free to reach out to me at my legal company, Squall Strategies. Tonight, today got a little bit of legalese again, but I hope I was able to break it down so that you can understand it. Essentially, it all comes down to incentivization. Otherwise. the non-legal questions, for the e-learning and general industry information and insights, come find me at The Maritime Professor and get ready. That e-learning content is getting close. So go sign up for my email if you want to know when I start to release some of my courses. If you like these videos, let me know. Comment, like, and share. If you missed any previous videos, these videos live on my YouTube page by Landon by Sea, presented by The Maritime Professor. And while you're at it, go check out the website, themaritimeprofessor.com. And like I've said a few times can't say it enough. They all live on the podcast as well. You can now listen to me on demand for all of these episodes, all burning questions you have about the FMC. We're not quite to all issues yet, but we're getting there. So until next week, this is Lauren Began, the Maritime Professor, and you've just listened to By Land and By Sea. We'll see you next time.